This is the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan, where we interview local real estate investors and professionals to go over tips, tricks, and investing strategies to help you learn about the business and to enable you to achieve your financial goals. And now, welcome to the show. What's going on, everyone? And welcome to episode 232 of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. Today, we have Austin Largusa from Simple Real Estate Investing. Austin is a real estate investor based in the Bay Area, and on today's episode, Austin will be talking about cold calling, using creative financing strategies to buy rental properties, and how to do virtual wholesaling using Facebook groups. Austin gets his sorts of leads by text message blasting his list of sellers and replying back to the ones who seem interested in selling. He then talks to them as friends and figures out what they need and comes up with solutions to help them out. After getting the properties under contract, he goes on local Facebook groups to assign the contracts to other flippers. So if you want to learn more about how to cold call, how to generate massive amounts of leads, and how to wholesale virtually while acquiring properties through creative financing, then you need to listen to this episode. And this real estate market is still incredibly hot. So if you're looking for a hard money loan for your fix and flip projects, or if you're looking for a 30-year fixed loan for your rental properties with rates as low as 4%, then you can contact me at sean at everythingrei.com. That's S-E-A-N at everythingrei.com. Let me know that you're a podcast listener, and I'll give you a discount on our processing fees. And now, on to the show. All right, Austin, thank you so much for being on the show today. Go ahead and introduce yourself and let us know who you are and tell us what you do. Hey guys, uh, my name is Austin Largusa. Uh, my company's name is Simple Real Estate and my wife and I are on a mission to help 1,000 home renters become homeowners over the next 25 years. And so we do a lot of out-of-state investing um, and primarily single-family homes to help increase home ownership rates. Yeah, that's exciting. And like I mentioned back in the green room, Austin, you and I have been friends on Instagram for probably six months now. So I've actually never met you in person. I've never talked to you before. So it's really exciting to like finally get to see you face to face. Well, I guess online, but still talk to you instead of just like texting back and forth. So why don't you give us all like an overview of like who you are and what kind of investing do you do? Yeah. So we, uh, I live in California, but we invest primarily out of state. So Tennessee and Ohio, uh, we have, uh, three single family homes in Tennessee. Um, we have eight single family homes in Ohio and two duplexes. Um, and all of those properties that we've acquired have been done through creative financing. So seller financing or, um, a sub to or subject to the existing mortgage. Um, and so that's it. We take deals down with creative financing and then we turn around and we do rent to own or lease options for tenants. Um, just to help people out. I think one of the things, you know, with home ownership is sometimes you just make some mistakes financially early on that really come to bite you and, you know, uh, later on down the road. And so we want to be able to help, you know, give people a second chance at owning a home. Yeah. And you've also scaled this pretty quickly, right? Like you only got into this about a year ago. Is that right? Yeah. So I started wholesaling uh, just over a year ago and we didn't purchase our first property until uh, it was December or November 30th of 2020. So less than a year ago, we started with one and now we're at 14, all within, you know, less than a year. That's amazing. So what were you doing before that? How did you even get into wholesaling in the first place? Yeah. So, so in uh, 2019, my wife and I were about to, well, she was about to have our third son, not me. That's all her. Um, and we figured like any other couple, we were going to buy a house. Like that's what you do. You have more kids, you need more space, you buy a house. And so we applied for a mortgage um, and we were gently denied uh, when we applied. This is in 2019. And honestly, dude, I was crushed. Like as a husband, as a father, uh, 
I felt super inadequate, like super insecure. Um, I felt like so minuscule and so tiny in that moment. And so, you know, I kind of let myself wallow in my sorrows for like a minute, um, but I'm too active, so I couldn't do it too long. Uh, but I just jumped on Google and I searched like, we can't be the only family in America that's dealing with this. And we actually learned that in 2019, it was almost 11% of all mortgage applications were denied. That's almost 1.6 million families in America in 2019 were told they can't own a home. Um, and so that just stirred us. Like we felt like we have to be a part of helping. Um, we have to be a part of the solution. And so I started this big uh, deep dive, like many people into bigger pockets uh, on YouTube. And I just listened and learned about everything I possibly could. And they started, I forget which episode it was, but they talked about wholesaling or buying from a wholesaler. Um, and you know, the more I looked into it, the more I realized I can, I can at least learn the language of the industry and at least learn the process while making money and without having to invest too much. And so I just jumped into wholesaling. Um, I looked, I mean, I Google everything really, uh, best market to wholesale. And honestly, Cleveland, Ohio was top three. And so I just jumped in. I didn't know a thing. Uh, I found people on bigger pockets, found people through social media. I would call them. It's probably one of like, um, like the biggest things that's helped me is I'm just not afraid to call people, even if I don't know what I'm talking about. And so I would call real estate agents and say, Hey, you know, my name is Austin. I'm looking to wholesale. I don't know what I'm doing, but I know I should find a good market. What's a good market. And they would laugh. Like we would giggle for a little bit because it was just so blunt, but then they would help me. And then the same thing with property management companies. Hey, my name is Austin. I'm an out-of-state guy, just getting started. I have no clue what I'm doing. Can you help me? And we'd giggle. And then, and then they just drop all this knowledge on different neighborhoods uh, and different wholesalers that you see on like YouTube. I would just call their offices and talk to the secretary and be like, I need to talk to this guy because I need to learn about this. Uh, and that's how we got started. I got started not knowing anything and just not being afraid to pick up the phone. Did you have a background in sales before us doing this? I did. I, uh, so I was a sales manager for Sprint uh, for a while and then uh, worked in sales for uh, Wells Fargo as well. Do you think that's how you kind of got that practice of building up the courage to call people and not feeling like scared about it? I, I think a little bit. I think that definitely had a lot to do with it. Um, but really, I mean, at the end of the day, if you want it, you just got to go get it. Like if yeah. you're hungry for the information it's out there. It's 2021. Like all the information you need is out there to be successful. You've just got to have the courage to go find it. I remember when I was getting started and people would say, yeah, start calling people. Yeah. I was terrified. You know, <laughs> I, I grew up just going to school, uh, working a job as an engineer, right. Mm -hmm. I had no reason to do some, any kind of cold outreach ever in my life. Right. So having to talk to people, I mean, I, I think for vendors, like property managers and for real estate agents, it's not that hard because you're right, a client, exactly. right? They yeah. want your business. They yeah. want to talk to you. But to call a home seller, my God, it's terrifying. Yeah. Especially so all the rejection and whatnot, right? It is. And that's just something, honestly, that's something you just have to deal with, that it's going to happen. And so I really had to like kind of give myself a pep talk. You know, Austin, hey, you're going to call this person. They're probably going to cuss you out. It's okay. It's not personal. You know, Austin, this person's going to call you names and say something about your mom. It's okay. Like, don't worry, you'll get through this. And it's just the reality. It's just the name of the game. 
Um, but the biggest thing, honestly, Sean, is like for beginners, whether it's wholesaling or real estate investors, is you have to at least try. You've, you've got to try something, like whatever it is. And then you learn from what you do. Like if you look at it super scientifically, like you collect the data after you try something, after you've hypothesized and you've run an experiment, you collect the data and then you come to a conclusion. And when you come to that conclusion, then you pivot and you hypothesize again, run another experiment, collect the data, come to a conclusion, pivot again, <laughs> right? And it's just this ever evolving journey of being an entrepreneur, really. Right. And were you working full time? Uh, while you were wholesaling your first few deals? Yeah, working full-time, married, three kids, uh, in the middle of the pandemic, yes. <laughs> wow, amazing. And so I guess, what was your first deal like? How did you get that under contract? Yeah, so the first deal I got, um, I went to PropStream, great tool, got a list of absentee owners, vacant properties, uh, where their owners were out of state, skip traced the list, um, that was about as much of a budget as I had that I could allocate towards that. So I used a free Google voice number and then I just started texting people. That's, that's how I started was texting. Um, and it's probably the best way for beginner wholesalers to start is through texting. Uh, cause it, it's easier to read a rejection than it is to hear it audibly. And yeah, so, it's less time too, right? You don't have to like yep. wait for the phone to ring. You don't have to wait for the pickup and have the whole, oh, hey, my name's Austin. You're like, blah, blah, blah. No, F you, leave. Yeah, so yeah. it's like, they just text you, no, F you, leave, right? Yeah, exactly. And so that's that was the thing was, I don't have enough time in the day to sit on the phone and cold call people all day. Like, like I said, I'm married. I've got three kids. They have activities. I've got work. Uh, we do part-time photo and video as well. Like we've got a lot going on. And so I don't have that time to commit to a phone call, but I can shoot out a couple of texts in the morning before I go to work. And so I would send about 10 to 15 text messages in Cleveland, Ohio. And then the beauty of text messages is number one, everyone has a phone. Everyone knows how to text message. And so you know that they're at least going to get the text message. And then when they respond, you just respond at your own time, like at your own leisure. You don't have to you know, if you're in a meeting, you don't have to say, excuse me, I have to take this call just to get cussed out. Like you can, you can read it. And if you want to respond, then you can, but if not, you just let it go. Right. And you copy and paste the same text message over and over again. Right. Exactly. Like, yeah, yeah. it's, it's not rocket science. It's really easy. And so I would text out these uh, text messages, had one seller. Well, I got rejected a bunch, a bunch of people telling me they're going to report me and you know, you're a fraud, you're a scam, this is illegal, and all this stuff. And, you know, I just, one of my things is I just keep going. Like, if I know, if I know legally that I can do this, that I can send a text message and say, I want to buy your house, then I know I'm good. And so I just kept going. Um, and finally, one text message, the guy right away said, yes, I need to sell my house right now. He had just bought another house and he didn't want to go through renting out the house that I had texted him about. So it was like the perfect scenario. Um, and so he texted me and his name was Justin. It's kind of funny. I was like, oh, this is meant to be. I'm Austin. You're Justin. Perfect. And so we exchanged some text messages back and forth just to, you know, get an idea of what the house was like, the condition, um, you know, the neighborhood, kind of a price range of where he wanted to be, how soon he needed to close. And then from there, that's when we got on the phone. And so I think a beginner wholesaler, this is probably a good uh, process or system for you to use is start with a text message 
or something that invites uh, warm leads, right? Cold calling is hard, honestly. Like cold calling sucks. Like, you know, I don't want to, like you said, Sean, I don't want to jump on the phone and try to convince someone within, you know, five minutes to sell me their house just for them to yell at me and call me names. And so text message or, you know, whatever it is to set up warm leads. Cause then I got on the phone with this guy and we were like friends, right? I didn't have to deal with this awkward, um, awkward thing where he thought I was, you know, a scam or a fraud. We were on the phone and we were just talking like friends would talk on the phone. Um, and so it went really well from that phone call. Um, I hired a, what I call a runner. I don't know what the technical term in real estate investing is. I just call them runners. They're just people who live in the area who can do errands for me. And so I found someone on a Facebook group, uh, a real estate investing Facebook group for that specific area. Um, and I paid that person 20 bucks and they went over, they took pictures, they did a walkthrough and then they sent me everything. I looked through everything. It looked good. And then we got it under contract. Nice. Um, I mean, there's a lot of things there, especially about the there point is. about warm leads, right? Yeah. Um, sending texts and having people who want to reply back to you to actually reply. I mean, that's kind of why people do direct mail, right? Because exactly. you send out yeah. a bunch of direct mail and then a lot of people will filter you out and then people right. reply back to you, you know, will usually have something good to say or maybe not. Right. Um, I, I do the same thing, you know, like I'm a hard money lender and some of my colleagues, they are out there cold calling people and they do really well, right? Because they're out there cold calling people, just like you see right. on like Wolf of Wall Street, right? Yep, cold yep. calling all day. For me, it's never been my thing. I, I right. hate calling people I don't know, right? <laughs> exactly. I put you in a weird situation, right? <laughs> Where they're like, oh, you're like begging me for business. Okay. Right. Like, what's your best terms and stuff? Yep. Whereas for me, like I preach the podcast, I have the meetup group as well as a YouTube channel. Yep. So now when people come to me, I feel like more established. Right. They know that I'm a hard money lender and that's why they yep. come to me for this advice. It's a lot easier. Yep. I, I love the conversations when it comes this way. Absolutely. And I think that one of the things, Sean, is you got to realize like these are real people. They're living a busy life just like we are. And so can you imagine like you're you're out doing something like you're running a business, Aaron, and someone randomly calls you and says, hi, my name is Josh. I want to buy your house at 468 Main Street. Like, dude, I'm busy. <laughs> I don't even yeah. know you. And so I always try to put myself in the place of the seller. Like, I don't want to be bothered in the middle of the day by someone I don't know. And so that's why I kind of veer away from uh, cold calling because it's just, honestly, it's just annoying. It's very annoying. Um, as an absentee owner myself, I have many properties out of state. I get calls every day. Like I don't even, yeah. take, a, I don't even take phone calls from Florida anymore because <laughs> right. for the most part, they're scammers. Well, not scammers. Right. They're spammers. Yep. And yep. now people have got the idea to outsource their cold calling to like the Philippines. So oftentimes I'm getting cold calls and like, I know what they're doing, right? Sometimes I just want to talk to them too. Right. Yeah, yeah. What is your offer? Tell me. But then they always go to the same strip like, oh, I, I can't tell you unless I have more information about it. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm not going to see here for 20 minutes and tell you all about my property just for you to lowball me. Right. Yep. Just connect me with your guy. And they never connect me to the guy. So yeah. it's like, yeah, it's really annoying. I'm the sure. same way. I'm the same way. Sometimes I like to entertain it uh, just to see like if the game has changed at all. But, oh, man, everyone uses the same script right? They use the same lines, same language. It's like, man, can someone be creative out there? Like, yeah. if, if someone was at least creative, I'd entertain selling one of my properties. But it's like, guys, come on. Mm -hmm. Now, when you talked about getting a list from PropStream, yep. um, and then you mentioned you did skip tracing. 
-hmm. for those of our listeners who don't know what that is, what is skip tracing and what did you do exactly? Yeah. So PropStream is a, um, a software, an online platform that makes all of this really easy. And so when I say find a list, it, and, you know, absentee, uh, out of state, vacant property, it just means that someone who owns the house from out of state and there's no one living there, um, according to this system. And so we pull the list and it brings everything up and you can adjust your criteria, right? Single family home, duplex, you know, bigger multifamily, uh, change the bedrooms and bathrooms, square footage, year that it was built, how much equity is in the house, um, all these different um, criteria that you can change. And so I pulled the list, got all the addresses. Um, and in PropStream, when you do that, it comes up with the person's first and last name, the homeowner. Uh, but it doesn't give you a phone number to contact them with. And so that's what skip tracing does. Skip tracing uh, allows you to gain access to their phone number uh, or the contact information based on the database that PropStream is pulling it from. And so I was able to actually, you know, figure out how to contact the homeowner from PropStream. So PropStream has like an ability to get the phone numbers directly on their yeah, platform, absolutely. but you have to pay a little bit more for that information. Right? Exactly. You pay per you pay per property that you skip trace. Mm -hmm. Is it like what, like 10, 15 cents? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's like 12 cents from what okay. I last remember. Yeah. So it's not, I mean, it's not that bad depending on how big of a list you're pulling. Um, but you can, you can pull a list and skip trace that list uh, for, you know, a couple hundred dollars max um, and then be set to either use a free Google voice number uh, to call or text. Um, or if you want to pay for another system to do it, you can do that as well. Did you find it to be, did you find it to be pretty accurate in terms of like the, the phone numbers? Yeah. So, um, so I track a lot of, uh, KPIs, key performance indicators. Um, and from that first campaign, it was about an 89%, uh, as far as the text messages that actually went through 89% of them actually went through 11% of them were either a bad number or were flagged as spam or whatever the case may be. And then out of that 89%, it was 23% of those people actually responded. Um, so it gave me a pretty good uh, data to work with. Um, yeah, it was it was solid. Yeah, that's not bad. When I tried skip tracing myself, I was too cheap to pay for those lists. And I would go to <laughs> websites like free or fastpeoplesearch.com. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and you, know, you put in their names, you put in their address, yep. and you can find their phone number from it. But yep. man, it takes a lot of time. It does. And yeah. honestly, when you skip trace it through PropStream, you just start the process and you come back five minutes later and you have all of these people's phone numbers. <laughs> exactly. And it gets you more time to do more action instead of exactly. trying to cheap out and save some money. <laughs> exactly. So once you had that deal and someone was willing to sell it to you for a certain price, how did you go about finding that end buyer? Yeah. So one of the two ways that I do it for end buyers, number one is I'm always connected in Facebook groups. I think I think Facebook is probably the most overlooked platform for real estate investors. Uh, you should be in touch with whatever real estate investing group is in the market that you want to be in or that you're already in. And then you have to pay attention to Facebook marketplace. Like, I don't know how, man, you can get so much business through Facebook marketplace and Facebook groups. And so what I was doing before I even had a deal locked up was I was in these groups and I was just interacting with people. Um, because my thought was, if I find the big players who are ready to buy now, I just have to find the deal and they'll take it. And so that's what I was trying to identify. Hey, who's actually doing deals and who's just on Facebook wasting time? Because I don't want to send the deal to them. I want to send the deal to the guy who I know is going to take it down. 
And so that's what I was doing initially before I even got the deal locked in so that when I actually got it under contract, I could send it to the smallest of people that I've identified as big players in the area. Um, and then knowing that I'm still on Facebook group and I can list it on Facebook marketplace, if they didn't bite on the deal, then I could post it there. And so that list of people, I think it was like three people. It wasn't a lot. Um, they passed on it. And so what I did was I posted it in that Facebook group, got a ton of responses, nobody bit on it. And then I posted it on Facebook marketplace. And that's when I found a buyer. Mm -hmm. Do you mind sharing some of the numbers for that deal? Yeah. Uh, so it was a four, two and a half with an attic um, in, I guess, southeast-ish uh, Cleveland, like Garfield Heights, if you're familiar with the area. Um, four, two and a half. Uh, the seller still owed, I believe it was just under 40 on it. So he had to at least uh, sell it for 40000 So he put it on a contract. It was about fifty-two. And then I listed it at 65 and we settled at 62. Nice. And so, so it's like it a 10, 10 grand profit. And then minus closing costs and what I had to pay the runner. Um, but yeah, it was just under 10. And honestly, like that was more than I even expected. Like I would have been fine with 2000. Honestly, like I'm not that selfish person. If you'll give me $2,000, I'll take it and go. We'll call it a day. Good deal. Very nice. Um, so then what will happen after that? Um, so obviously, as far as the process, right, when you find the buyer and you found a title company that you can work with for the assignment, because not all title companies are um, knowledgeable about it or even want to work with them. Uh, once that's all closed out, obviously the escrow, uh, the title company will send you the check, get the check in the mail, you go celebrate. That's my number one rule. Whenever I get anything done in business, I celebrate. And so it's usually sushi with my family. Uh, we'll go get some good sushi. And so I'm pretty sure we ate sushi that day that we closed it. Yeah, um, very cool. But honestly, I got that first one. And then in my mind, I was like, man, I got to get like five more. Like, I don't even want to sleep. I just want to keep going. And just this energy that I had from getting that first deal, I feel like that's the reason I'm here today. Like, because I got that first deal and I decided, you know, I'm not going to sit around. I'm going to make something happen. I'm going to go after it. Right. So then what was your next deal? Um, so my next deal was that was also in Cleveland, uh, East Cleveland, uh, also a single family home. East Cleveland is, uh, it's not the best part of town. Uh, and so the margins aren't very high. Uh, but again, single family home, cause that's what I was trying to do initially. I just looked for single family homes, um, single family home. I think that one, that was one that was under 5,000 on an assignment fee, uh, which was a lot smaller, but like I said, if, if I had 2000, I would have been fine, but same exact process, text message, got the buyer, figured we could build a little rapport, then jumped on the phone, finalized terms, uh, got it under contract, posted it on Facebook to these investors, then Facebook group, then Facebook marketplace, found a buyer, signed for it. Title company sends the check. Um, nice. And honestly, if you ask about all the deals, it's the same exact process, right? So even like, for the ones you're doing now, right? Even the ones you're doing now where you're holding on to them, you're still doing the same thing where you're finding the list, you're scrubbing it, you're um, skip tracing it for the phone numbers, sending out the text message blasts, and then waiting to see who responds and going so, from there. So that's where it gets a little different. Um, the hard part of what I'm doing, so everything that I own in our rental portfolio is all via creative financing seller financing and subject to. Um, and that's kind of been the goal. 
when I'm texting people for, you know, uh, through these lists for wholesaling, I'm never finding anyone who's open to these kinds of terms. And so our rental portfolio has come entirely through referrals on social media. A hundred percent people I've networked with send me a DM, you know, Hey, I know this guy's trying to sell a house or uh, a duplex or a portfolio. You want to look into it, you know, or Hey, Austin, I'm a wholesaler. I see you invest in these states. Here's a property. And so all the text messages that I've done have only led us to wholesaling. They've never, not yet at least, led us to a rental property that we're holding. Interesting. Can you talk about creative financing and like how does seller financing work? Yeah. So uh, the two ways that we do it is seller financing and subject to. And so seller financing typically means the seller owns the house outright. And they essentially become the bank to you. They're the lender. Uh, and so you work out different things like end purchase price. You work out uh, the length of the term or the length of the loan, I guess you would say. You work out the down payment. Uh, you also work out your interest rate so that you know what your monthly pay- payments are going to be. And you work out your amortization. Um And so that's seller financing, and I'm sure we'll talk about a little more in depth about that. And then subject to is typically someone who's in a home um, that still has a mortgage on it, and you're taking over payments for them. And so the debt still stays in their name, uh, but title goes in your name for the most part. um, And you just continue making their mortgage payments, but you get to control what happens to the real estate. How do you go about convincing someone to sell their home via seller financing or through subject to? Yeah, so I think one of the advantages is it, it has to be the right person, first of all. Um, I see a lot of people saying that they're trying to pitch seller financing, and I don't know if it's something you really pitch rather than something you discover could be a solution to someone's problem. Um, and so seller financing usually works if the person just cares about cash flow and you know a decent purchase price in the end. And so my first rental was seller financing, $130,000 home in Clarksville, Tennessee, 3.25 interest rate, which is really good for seller financing, um, $14,000 down payment over five years, amortized at 30 years. Um, and so the deal with this seller was he had owned the house for a long time. He just rehabbed the entire thing and all he wanted, he didn't want to deal with a renter, right? He didn't want to be a landlord. He just wanted to know that he was getting money in his pocket over the course of five years. And so that was kind of the most ideal situation for this guy, right? That was That's like the perfect seller financing. When they don't need the cash up front, they just want to know that they have consistent cash flow coming in. And at the end of the term, they get paid out. On the other side with subject two, we just closed in Clarksville, Tennessee again, Uh, two months ago, and we just placed a tenant this week. Uh, It was the owner was getting married to his fiance, and she already owned a home. But he didn't feel like he could sell it in today's market and get what he wanted right away. And so what he said was, all right, well, how about you take over the payments, and you just give me a large down payment up front? Because his idea was, I just need the cash, because I'm going to go move in with my fiance anyway. And just take care of the mortgage over the next five years and then pay it off when it's done. So interesting. Uh, How did they find you again? Like, let's talk about the first person who was willing to, he just renovated the property. 
why yeah. not put it on the market and sell it there? Yeah. So that's what I was thinking too, was, man, why don't you just list this on the MLS? You'd make some decent money. Um, but what was interesting was, uh, so this guy, this deal came from a wholesaler through social media who couldn't put the deal under contract yet, but knew that it was available for um, on terms is how he phrased it. And so we all jumped on a three-way call and just talked and listened to what this seller was saying. And he, this is all he was saying. He knows he can sell it now. He doesn't need to. He just wants to know that he's getting cash in and he doesn't want to be a landlord. And so all of those things fit the criteria for seller financing. And kind of the way that I do it is, you know, hey, Sean, I'm, I'm hearing what you're saying and I understand the troubles that you're going through and what you do and you don't want to do. I have this idea. Would you be open to this? And I just kind of frame it and it's not pushy and it's not deceiving either. It's just like, hey, here's a situation that might work for you. What do you think about that? And it took a little while for him to figure it out. You know, would he, you know, would he make more money if he just listed it? How long would that take? Would he have to pay commissions, uh, agents commissions and realtor fees? Would he have to pay closing costs? Right. And so that's all the things that I took off of his plate to make the transaction easier. And we were able to close within three weeks. So are you opposed to getting like a conventional financing for a rental property or has it just so happened that all the deals that come your way do have a creative solution to it? So I'm not opposed to it. Uh, honestly, before the fifth year of this term, I'm going to have to refi it and get a conventional loan. Um, I just love this idea. Uh, and it's, I guess you can call it a little petty. But since the financial institutions didn't want to work with me to buy a house, I'm kind of like, I'm going to stick it to you. And I'm going to buy all of these houses without your help. <laughs> nice. I guess in this case, you know, he did want a $14,000 down payment. Yep. Did that come from you guys? Like you just happen to have the money to, to pay for it? Yeah, we just use our personal capital. Okay, got it. I, I have had some people on the show before who do similar things where they seller finance or do like subject to, yep. but they do it in a wrap, uh, a yep. wrap version where like they would then find another buyer and then you do seller financing with them where you ask for them for a higher down payment and you give them a higher you know, interest rate. So now you make a spread on the whole thing. Right. So that's actually what we did with this one. We have a tenant in because again, everything runs through our vision of helping increase home ownership rates. And so what we did was we did wrap it. Um, we increased the end purchase price by 55000 uh, on a two-year term. We did require the exact down payment that we did. So that's a wash, right? And we have, and we cash flow $600 on it a month. Mm -hmm. And so we were able to take this property on at 14,000, which was given back to us by this new buyer, right? So basically we got a house for free and then we're able to increase the rents. Our payment to the original seller is $600 and 24 cents. Our, our payment for this lease option tenant buyer is $1,200. Wow. Yeah. And so it's, <laughs> it's a two-year term, right? He has the option to exercise it at the end of two years. And then we put a clause in there. If it gets to the point where, you know, for the banks, he doesn't uh, qualify yet, we can extend for a year, but that's another down payment that we hang on to that's non-refundable. And then he has the option to stay there for another year and try to work out his financial situation. One of the unique things that we do with that as well is we actually hooked him up with a credit repair program that's in his city. Um, because 
not only do we want to give people opportunity to buy homes, but we actually want to help them. Like, I think rent to own, the idea of rent to own or lease options, a lot of people think are like scams and they're just trying to get over on you. And so we wanted to change the way that the game is by linking people up with credit repair programs, because the majority of people who can't qualify is based on credit repair. And a lot of these people who we've seen um, in 2019 who were denied a mortgage, a lot of their debt or their credit issues is uh, linked back to like uh, student debt from like going to college. (laughs) And so these people tried to do the right thing, going to college, getting a degree, and then they go to buy a house and they're like, oh, your debt to income. Whoa, what happened? And so in my mind, I'm just like, man, we've got to be better. Like, we've got to do something different here. You know, these strategies seem relatively complicated. It's not as straightforward as what we're doing, where we just go out, we buy a property, and then we finance it. You're doing a lot of creative stuff. You're finding buyers to come in, and you're actually explaining to the buyers how, you know, lease options work. I I think most people have no idea how that works. Um, How did you learn all of this in such a short time frame? Come on, bro. I got my degree from YouTube University. Let's go. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Honestly, um, I'm really good at learning. Um, I'm not good in a classroom. I'm good at learning uh, when something interests me. Uh, I become obsessive over learning it uh, and I'm just committed to it. And so there were a lot of nights where, you know, I've got three boys. They would go to sleep. My oldest two go to sleep at 830. My youngest one goes to sleep at 745. They'd be in bed. Then I spend time with my wife from about 830 to 10 o'clock whether that's having a glass of wine or watching a TV show that she likes to watch. It's usually Grey's Anatomy. Uh, We're on season three, by the way. Are you? (laughs) I secretly watch it. I don't tell her that I'm paying attention, but I'm sitting there like looking at my phone and then kind of peek up and I'm like, Ooh, I can't believe he said that. (laughs) But like our, my nights for a long time would be all of this, get the kids to bed, spend time with my wife. And then I would just let her know, Hey, like if this is what we want to do, I've got to be up the next two hours or so. I've got to learn this stuff. And so I jump on YouTube. There's a couple of channels uh, that were really helpful. Is it okay if I plug them here? Absolutely. Um, So Investor, Mel and Dave, I think they live in Canada. Huge. uh, They're not like super, like, um, they're not, you know, like front runners of social media, real estate investors. They're older, uh, which isn't very appealing for most people these days. Uh, but they were huge in helping me learn how to structure terms. Uh, they were probably the best um, when I was learning early on. Uh, obviously, you have Pace Morby, who's all about creative financing. Uh, his channel was fairly helpful. Uh, and then Brent Daniels, uh, his uh, talk to people is kind of his moniker. His was very helpful. And last but not least, Sean Terry, who's like an OG real estate investor, um, super helpful. And, and what they really helped me do, uh, so how would I say, I don't, I don't like to learn exact processes. Uh, I like to learn concepts and ideas because if I can take these concepts and ideas and apply them, you know, if I learn them well enough, I can apply them in any capacity and I can kind of shift and mold them to fit what I'm going after. And so the biggest thing that I learned is creative financing outside of anything that's clearly written as a legality, there are no rules. And that's why it's called creative. Because you can figure out what works for you and what works best for the buyer or for the seller. And so that's what I love doing. I love, you know, sending the text messages or going on social media, finding a lead, and then just listening to somebody's story and 
figuring it out. Like, can I actually help this person? And if there is a way to help them, then why wouldn't I? And so that's why I love creative financing. It really opens the door of how many people were able to help. Absolutely. What a cool thing is that, you know, again, it allows you to do more deals where normally you would be restricted by someone else, yep. like some lender, some bank that says, no, we can't do a deal for you. Here, you're like, you know what? I don't care. You're the seller. I'm the buyer. Let's work something out. Exactly. But as, let's say, a newer investor or someone that doesn't do creative financing pretty often, yep. one thing that holds me up personally is like contracts. How do you get around that issue? Like for me, whenever I offer, I usually use the California Associated Realtors regular car contract or have my agent send me something. What do you about that? So I see a lot of stuff. Like I said, I'm on Facebook a lot. I see a lot of bad advice about contracts and paperwork, um, about just go on Google. They're all the same. Like, oh, that's the one that like makes me cringe the most. Here's what I would advise. If anyone's serious about getting into any aspect of real estate investing, just pay an attorney the first time. It's a couple hundred dollars. Tell them what you're trying to get into and let them draw up the paperwork. And now you have a template that you can take with you forever. But I would not advise just going on Google and searching, you know, purchase and sale agreement. I would at least contact an attorney and just pay. It's my attorney. I paid $300. Uh, I got a promissory note template. So I use that when I raise private money. I got a regular purchase and sale agreement, and I got a, um, a rent-to-own agreement. $300. Like, it's worth it today now as I look back on it. What wouldn't be worth it to me is if I trusted everyone on Google and just found the first PDF that someone uploaded and just ran with it and then realized later I made a mistake and now I'm screwed on a deal. Yeah, it cost like, you thousands of dollars. Honestly, right, like... In my mind, just pay an attorney. This is what they do. Like, why wouldn't you pay a professional for what they do? How did you find an attorney? Honestly, 300 bucks sounds really cheap for three documents. Oh, it was great. He's like the best guy in the world. He's actually from uh, Silicon Valley. Um, and I found him from, oh gosh, a, a referral to someone I met on social, um, Steve Rosenberg on Bigger Pockets. Okay, got it. It was one of the guys that he worked with. And so I just called him. And said, like I told you earlier, when I call anyone else, hey, my name is Austin. I'm trying to get into out-of-state investing. I don't know what I'm doing. Can you help me? Yeah. And he's like, he's like, yeah, here you go. This is what you need. Let me send this to you. Let me invoice it. Like, Perfect, man. Awesome. Uh, a few days ago, I saw your like Instagram story of like your goal sheet. Yep. You're like, all right, 2020, this many units, 2021, yeah. this many. So like, yeah, what what is your goal? <laughs> Honestly, so if... If the visionary statement that we have as a company holds true, helping a thousand home renters to become homeowners over the next 25 years, uh, we've done the research. An average family size in America is 3.12 people. And so that's three renters, technically. And so our ultimate goal is 312 properties that we need to get structured as rent-to-owner lease options. Uh, so that's that's a big part of our goal. On the other side of it, I do want to buy some time to spend with my family. And so you you probably saw, I think his 2030 goal is to buy an apartment complex. Uh, so I've got some time, but really what that's going to allow me to do is to have the leisure to say, you know, I can work if I want to. I have all this positive cash flow coming in that uh, pays for our bills. And so I get to decide at that point. And so it's it's twofold, really. Number one, I want to help people buy a house. And two, 
I want to be able to spend time with my family. It's not, it doesn't sound super sexy. I know. Sorry. Well, no, that's, that's great. I mean, <laughs> buying time is probably the most valuable thing you can buy, right? Yeah. Like you can always yeah. make more money, but you can never get your time back. Right. I think when people are on their deathbed, they don't ever wish they worked more. They don't ever wish right. they had more money. Yep. Really? I mean, they wish that spend more time with their loved ones and their family. So. Exactly. Exactly. Are you still working a full-time job? I am. I work uh, roughly, I work almost 60 hours a week uh, full-time, plus our photo and video business wow. uh, that we probably work about eight to 10 hours a week. Um, and then, you know, all the extracurricular stuff. My kids have fitness classes. Uh, my oldest wanted to do summer school this year just because uh, my wife is a big-time CrossFitter. She loves CrossFit. She goes four to five days a week. I go to the gym a lot. You know, like we have all this stuff, um, but you make time for the things that you care about and the things that are important. Did you ever have any issues, um, like I guess pursuing real estate investing and also you're pretty big on social media now, right? You, I see you post pretty often and you have a podcast now. Do you ever feel like scared that your employer would see all the stuff you're doing? No, not at all. Um, so we're in a unique position. Um, so my full-time job, I pastor a church up here in the North Bay. Oh. And we have two campuses, right? North Bay, and then we have one in the city. Um, my my boss is a big time entrepreneur, and he's kind of that visionary, pioneering kind of guy. And so he loves seeing uh, in our in our staff. We have uh, out of eight, we have four people who own their own businesses. And so this is kind of something that we just do. We naturally do. Now on the other side of it, I know that I have to get work done. And that comes first. And so let me just walk through my timeline uh, every day. This is my schedule every single day. I get up at 4.10 a.m. every day, 4.10 on the dot. I have an alarm set. I coach CrossFit at 5 a.m. And then I work out with the class as well. I get back home at 6.15 because the gym's super close to my house. I get 45 minutes to work on real estate from 6.15 to 7 because my kids are usually still sleeping by then. My kids get up right around 7. I feed them. I get them ready for the day. By 8 o'clock, if there's school, if school is going, 8 o'clock, I bring my oldest to school, my youngest to stay home with my wife, and then I go to work. And so this is every day. This is my schedule. It doesn't change. All the real estate stuff you're seeing posted, um, it's all done from 6.15 to 7 o'clock. That's when I'm creating content, or that's when I'm on the phone because all of our properties are Eastern time zone. So 6.15 here, depending on the time of year, it's either 8.15 or 9.15 over there. And so that's when I do all of my business calls. I get a one-hour lunch break at 12. That's when I do more business from 12 to 1. I go back to work. I get off at 4.30. So 4.30 to 5, I have a 30-minute window to do anything real estate I want. And then 5 o'clock till I go to sleep. That's all family time. Wow. So it's, it's super structured. Like I, I have to be. In order for this to work, like this is the kind of commitment I have to make. I think there's a quote. I'm gonna I'm gonna butcher it, but they're saying like busy <laughs> people are even more busy. Or you guys get more things done from being busy. Absolutely. I, I'm sure there's plenty of people, honestly, myself included, who have taken this time during COVID to just chill. There's actually a there's lot of time wrong with that. Well, honestly, like there's a lot of time during my day that I am just chilling and I'm not working on yeah. stuff. And then I feel guilty later on, like, damn, I could have done more work here. <laughs> right. Here you are waking up four ten every day. That's amazing. Four ten. What time do you go to sleep? Um, we usually go to sleep around ten thirty, eleven. Wow. I don't I don't need a lot of sleep, honestly. Um, I can get going. 
uh, and just keep rolling. There's not a lot. There's, there's a difference between people who are internally motivated and ex- externally motivated, right? Externally motivated people are people motivated by money, uh, motivated by something outside of themselves. Honestly, myself, I, I just I just go. Um, and I don't need like I don't need a lot of people like cheerleaders cheering me on. Um, I don't need you to like my post that I post online. Like, I don't need any of that. I just know that there's a drive inside of me. And really, it all ties back to this vision. Like, I know what it felt like to get denied for our mortgage. And I don't want any other family in America to have to feel that because that sucked. Hmm. So let's talk about, I guess, your social media campaigns that you're doing. You have, you know, you are pretty big on Instagram right now. You are starting a podcast. You want to talk about like why you decided to do it and what you've gotten out of it so far? Yeah. So Instagram honestly was a selfish thing. Um, I just knew that there were a lot of people on Instagram who knew more about real estate than I did. And so that's why I started. Um, I just want to be around the right people who are a couple of steps ahead of me so I can see what they're learning and then learn from that. And so I started my Instagram. Uh, I didn't know what it was going to do. It's grown a little bit. Um, and I've created some really cool relationships through it. Uh, and it's going to continue to grow. And I'm here for it. That's fine. Um, my YouTube channel, uh, I, how would I say, I love teaching. Like it's one of my favorite things to do is teaching. And so that's what I look at YouTube for is I just want to teach people everything I'm learning and show, you know, show your everyday Joe that you don't have to be, um, some highly qualified professional to be a real estate investor. Like you don't need all of the degrees and all the accolades and come from a sales background you don't have to know all the right people and come from money. You can do it like anyone can do it. And so that's what I look at YouTube for is to be able to teach. It's uh, it's more of a passion project for me. Uh, I just enjoy doing it. Uh, and then I just got on. Well, I've been on it for a little while, but I just started on Clubhouse a little more. Um, and so I'm listening to conversations and jumping into rooms and kind of sharing what I'm learning. Uh, I'm not sure... I'm not sure where Clubhouse is going to go for me. I don't know. I'm it's, surprised, dude, because we were really big on Clubhouse earlier in the year, like January to yeah. maybe March. We're on it almost every single day, and we would be presenting at least once or twice a week. But right. then we got burned out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. That's what I don't want to happen. And so I'm I'm trying to structure everything I do in a way that is manageable um, until I bring someone on to help me you know, create content or edit content or, you know, conceptualize different ideas. But for now, it kind of works. Instagram is my primary source of how I try to add value to the community. Uh, YouTube is more of a personal thing for me. I just like to teach. And then Clubhouse, I'm not quite sure yet. Yeah, I mean, one of my biggest problems with Clubhouse is it's it's all live. And basically, whoever's there is there. Whoever's not there, right. not there. So you might have a group of 20 people. You might also have a group of 100 people. Right. Uh, and then you have a bunch of people talking over each other. Whereas like a podcast yeah. like this one, it's focused. It's just us two. Yep. And exactly. we record once, but can it be listened to hundreds, if not thousands of times? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. Personally, I created this podcast for very selfish reasons too. It gave me an excuse <laughs> to talk to the best real estate investors that I know and get right, a yeah. closed one hour one-on-one session with them and yep. ask them all of my questions. Yeah, that's so true. That's what I was doing on Instagram. I do coffee talk. And it started out as every it started on Friday mornings, every Friday morning, my wife goes to the gym, and I'm at home with all three kids. And I'm always drinking coffee. And so I was like, 
well, I'm here anyway. Let me just start this thing and see what happens. And then I started bringing people on. And it was like you said, it was more of like, what do I want to learn? All right. Who is that person? Let me go find them. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's so funny. It helps you build your network too. And of course you can share yeah. that value with the world. So it's exactly a lot, of, a lot of good things coming out of it. So Austin, how can people find out more about you? Oh man, obviously you can follow me on Instagram at rentals underscore the number two underscore retirement. Uh, that's probably the best way to reach me. I respond to every DM I get, uh, no matter what it is. Even if you send me like the clapping hands in response to my stories, I'm still going to respond to it. Uh, I respond to every comment that I have, every question that comes in. So if you have any questions about anything, uh, send me a message on there or uh, comment on one of the posts and I'll respond to you right away. Um, so Instagram, don't don't find me on Clubhouse. I don't do enough there yet. That's not a big deal. Uh, on YouTube, it's Simple Real Estate Investing. And so it's simple tips to help you get started on your wealth building journey of real estate. Um, you'll want to jump on that and follow along. I'm actually doing a series called uh, How to Scale from 12, How to Scale to 12 Properties in Five Months. And it's a three-part series. I've already released episodes one and two, and we'll release episode three next week. Um, so Instagram, YouTube, that's it really. Instagram is gonna how you're going to find me. YouTube is how I'm able to teach you, you know, what we're learning through the process. Awesome. Well, Austin, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And it's great to hear yeah, your entire sure. story of how you basically started and did all of this within one year. Absolutely amazing. Absolutely. Thanks, man. Thanks, everyone, for checking it out. Thanks, Sean, for having me on, man. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can find the show notes and other episodes on our site, everythingrei.com slash podcast. If you live in the Bay Area, join our meetup group, where we meet up twice a month in San Jose at meetup.com slash everythingrei. And if you thought this was a great episode, let me know what your key takeaway was and share it with a friend who's interested in real estate investing. Thanks and have a great day. This was another episode of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. If you enjoyed the show, leave us a five-star rating. It will only take a second and it'll help a lot. You can contact me at sean at everythingrei.com. That's S-E-A-N at everythingrei.com. Thanks and have a great day.